Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. everyone. This is Marissa Carpico, the film editor at thepopbreak.com. I'm here with Matt Taylor, our TV editor. Say hello, Matt. Hi, everyone. And we are here for um, our way too early Oscar podcast, even though it's right on time now. I got to stop saying it. It's like a dumb joke I keep doing. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's a bit. We have a bit. It's fine. <laughs> I got to find a new bit. Um, anyway, we are here to talk about the current Oscar race. Um, so heavy hitters have come out, or at least um, we've had time to see them or are allowed to talk about them now. Um, we're going to start with uh, one that is <clears throat> technically not out on Netflix yet when we post this, but has been in theaters. And, and I shockingly went to a theater to see a Netflix release, and um, Matt went to the Belasco to see it. Um, and we both had horrible experiences, but we'll talk about it in a second. Um, we're going to start with talk by talking about the Martin Scorsese film, The Irishman. Um, Matt, do you want to uh, give a summary and, and you know, talk about your experience? Yes. Um, let me get the IMDb up because I will fuck up all the characters' names. I, um, <laughs> I would probably do the thing I always do where I just name people by the actors. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried not to do that, but I always end up doing that because I forget that I have my phone open. But um, no, The Irishman, one of Martin Scorsese's dream projects that he's been trying to make for a long time, follows the um, life of Frank, Sh- Frank Sheeran, played by Robert De Niro, who is a World War II veteran who becomes a hitman for the mob. Um, it follows most of his career up in, like, up until um, the early 2000s when he's in a retirement center um, close to death. It particularly focuses on a chapter of his life when he were, when he were close to with Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino, to carry out um, some shady dealings. Um, I was cautiously excited for this because, um, I don't know, like, it's like Cersei is someone who... I like a lot and I like a lot of his films quite a bit, but like for a very long time, the fanboys around him were the most annoying people on the internet. (laughs) And then um, the conversation changed. And now the Marvel fanboys criticizing him are the most annoying people on on the internet, but the whole conversation just very annoying. And (laughs) I like, I I truly am so close to muting every single term. involves in all these different people because i'm just so tired of it but um you know uh i when they announced they were playing at the blasco theater in new york i was like and only for 15 dollars a ticket i was like this is this is worth it i don't have as much of an issue as you with paying for netflix films i only do it for like special occasions like marriage story or like things where i'm like legitimately hyped for the filmmaker or something like that and this seemed like a really good experience um I loved the film. I will just say that right right at the bat. I think it's really wonderful at viewed as this like farewell to the gangster genre from Cersei. It's um, as many people know, it's three and a half hours. It is, it is very long. I, I don't, you feel the length, but it doesn't quite feel like three and a half hours in my opinion. Um, but I will say it runs into like the, like it's, it's probably inevitable. Like the problem that like, 
the last hour of it is exceptional and like some of the best stuff he's done, I think. And then everything else before it is just very good Sorsese. So it's like like the historical element of watching this hitman work for the mob for 30, 40 years is interesting. And then when it reaches this ending about him as an old man looking back on his life, it's it's incredible. But, um, you know, the we can talk. Uh, we have a conversation about de-aging, I'm sure. But that did not work for me. That was the biggest my biggest problem with the film. And but, you know, when it got to that last hour, I was so like thrilled by it all. Like it, it I think some of those scenes are just amongst my favorites in his career. I think it like Sersesi repeats a lot of the same themes about masculinity and about gangsters, obviously, um, and Italian American masculinity. And this really does feel like all those things he's been exploring his whole career, but brought to this point that he's never been so explicit about of just like the pointlessness of it all. Like the, the ending is so bleak and so brutal like on an emotional standpoint and the fact that he's able to pull that off without ever making the character sympathetic. Like um, there's, there's one scene where um, we see Joe Pesci's character. He plays another gangster um, as an old man and someone in the crowd went like, Oh, like when he gets like hurt or something like that. And I'm like, no, you missed the point. <laughs> He's not like, this is not like an, Oh, what a cute little man moments. But, um, this, um, I just think what he's able to pull off in that last balancing act of focusing on these characters and remind and like showing us how horrible they are and how pointless their lives were and all the violence they committed. I think it's really, really strong. And I don't know. I was just very impressed by it. But yeah, it was a terrible theater experience. (laughs) And I low-key wish I just watched it at home in the end because it was a lot of people all all like boomer age um, laughing hysterically at various points that were not funny and like like acts (laughs) of violence or um, characters saying horrible things. And it's it just sort of like it, it reminds me a lot of what Sosa is exploring in this film, or even like a show like The Sopranos that does so much to show the way Italian Americans have like fetishized these horrible aspects of gang life for whatever reason. And it's like you know it made the movie stronger in a way because I was just like he's right, this, people don't get it, but it was also just very annoying in the moments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, we're this is going to be like. I mean, we're always kind of a low key, like, OK, Boomer um, podcast, but like <laughs> this is going to be our most OK, Boomer episode um, because like I also had a shitty theater experiences, which is part of why I sort of try to avoid, especially a film like this with like Scorsese, who has such a like um, not 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 his fault, obviously, um, a broy um fan base essentially and like now especially for this film like an older fan base that um does not know how to fucking behave in a theater um like i was sitting next to this this older couple who they bought the at the alamo they have um like tables essentially and they didn't buy a table together and the the husband was being an absolute shit about it it's like he the he was acting like their wife ran over their dog it was so much um in a way that was like felt gendered um and then they were like they were like uh, i got there and they were like can you would you mind moving because i was just there alone and i was like yeah it's fine um and then the guy like sort of i don't know said something a little passive aggressive about like 
you know, uh, it's a, you're getting a better seat anyway or something. And I was like, okay, like, okay, boom, calm down. Um, like it's two seats over, like it's not a big deal. So like I moved and then the two of them proceeded to talk through the four, first, oh, half hour or so of the film, um, which in the grand scheme thing is not very long, but like, um, they only stopped talking when an Alamo worker who was carrying some waters walked past them and realized they were talking and was like, you're not allowed to talk during the film. <laughs> like, <laughs> we have announcements beforehand about not talking before the film. Also, you've been in a film before. You should know this. Um, and like they were uh, sort of horrible the whole time. They still kind of kept talking, but not as loudly, which was mm-hmm. great. I was grateful for that. Um, and then when the fucking movie ended, the guy, they started like talking immediately. Can you believe we got shushed basically, which was again, what a, what a behavior. And then as I was getting up to leave, the guy sort of tried to pick a fight with me where he was like, I wonder who the rat was. And he said it like directly to me, passive aggressively, as if I had said something when in fact the guy was walking by and they were talking so loud. He, he said something. Um, but like. I don't know. That's usually why why I would have liked to avoid this in the theater, but it was $1.75 because I have Alamo A-list. So, you know, I went. Um, I I kind of hated the film, though. Not just because... not And that experience didn't, like, help. But um, I don't think the final hour, which I, I agree with you, is fantastic, at all justifies the, like, self-indulgence of the first two and a half like at least yeah like two and a half hours that's just too much that's too much nothing not enough happens and like as a piece of i'm trying to talk about it without spoiling things i suppose but like as a way to cap off um scorsese's career of making gangster films it makes it is the right note to strike this sort of elegiac like what have we done? What has it all been worth? Question, you know. Mm. Um, there, there's something really good there. But I, I actually, I don't know. I, something about it doesn't quite work for me in the way it seems to be connecting for other people. And I think that's because the gangster films that he's made for me have never been filled with anybody to aspire to in my mind. And like like you and I have talked about this and we're going to talk about it again in a couple months when people finally hear the, the podcast about raging bull that we, we just did. Um, like I think people misinterpret his work a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. in terms of like, he's making more anti heroes than like people you should actually look up to. Most of the time they are deeply flawed and that's what he is interested in, in terms of like, you know, toxic masculinity. Um, but like, I don't know. It's it's weird for me. I think the reason this didn't quite work for me on some level is that, like, you know, I, I the first time I saw Casino, I was like, these people are awful. Um, and, like, the first time I, I really don't actually like Goodfellas very much because it's like, what is there to think is cool about this? Like, these guys are assholes who are awful and treat women horribly. And, like, I just, I hate, they're awful. They are awful people. And, like, I don't know. It's so like this this note of like ending on this like well what was it all worth like for some reason it doesn't resonate i mean it resonates but it just doesn't like it's it just i don't connect with it in that i i it's strange to me that anyone had to learn it in a way <laughs> and like 
I, it's because I'm not a dude, you know what I mean? Like, I haven't had to grow up or um, exp- grow out of that masculinity because I was never involved with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just am not connecting to it in the way that, like, some of the, like, you and, and some of the other men I actually trust to talk about movies, like, really connected with this film in a way that I just am like, sure, I guess. Like, <laughs> didn't we know? We we knew that, though, you know? <laughs> um, even though I think that stuff is really, really strong. And, and, like, purely looking at it as on a filmmaking thing, I just don't think, as strong as that message is, I don't think the two and a half hours before it is worth it. It's funny because... Um... I was so like watching the film. I um, throughout that first two and a half hours, I was into it, but in this way that felt very removed where it was like, I was thinking the whole time, like this is effect. Like this is entertaining because he's a compelling director and he knows what he's oh. doing. Um, Thelma Schumacher, Schumacher um, is like one of the best editors working. And like the two of them together are making this all compelling and interesting. But um I was sort of thinking throughout that first two and a half hours, like if this is just it, I, I do not see what the whole buzz is with this movie. And then the last hour happened. I was like, okay, it was worth it for, for me for this ride. But I do wonder, like, it, it's funny it, when it goes on Netflix, my like parents are already very excited to watch it on Thanksgiving um, and everything. And I'm looking forward to rewatching it. But a funny part of me is like, oh. I do think I will like, want to just fast forward to that last hour because I find it so much more. And I don't know if I ever need to see um, that first two hours again. There are certain moments that really, really work for me. Most of which I think are sort of like premonitions for what the third act becomes. Like um, the Anna Paquin's first scene. I really love mm. um, when she's like watching the news with her father. It's like, she she's really great in this movie for someone who has so little dialogue, like incredible um facial acting and then um there's one scene where jimmy hoffa's wife is like like in her car and that's like another silent moment that's very suspenseful and sort of like a premonition for where the movie's going to go and i like i love those little little beats but i don't know if i need the full two and a half hours but i i wasn't bored i was just sort of like like where is this going basically the whole time (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. That's actually surprising. Like, I don't know. I think I knew I felt some of it in the way that like the daughter, uh, the Paquin character, like the younger version, um, like some of that from the beginning, I was like, oh, she's there's going to be a big scene later where she tells him off for being a bad guy. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like like within the first scene that they show her, maybe the second. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, that's that's where this will eventually get. So, like, I don't know. And that's not the not a problem necessarily for like that groundwork should be laid. And that's the whole point of like why why that storyline is so effective, essentially. But like, I don't know. I, I just like the thing that's exciting for me in the first two and a half is probably Pesci is pretty good. Um, and Pacino is like legit great. Like. Mm-hmm. I, I've liked some of his later work, like that Danny Collins thing. I think I've defended once or twice on the pod um, <laughs> in which um, uh, what's his face plays his son. Oh, God, I can't remember. Bobby Cannavale plays his son, which like absolutely. Yes. And Jennifer. And Garner Jennifer Gar- yeah. Jennifer Garner is his daughter-in-law, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's wonderful. It's um, like 
that I liked, but this is one of the best performances I've seen from him in like uh, before that. God knows how long. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, not a great he's, philosophy lately. <laughs> it, no, but he's like really good in this and really fun and like uses that unhinged quality that has always made him so interesting very well here. Um, so yeah, yeah, like that's the thing that interests me in it. But like once you realize he's playing Jimmy Hoffa, you're like, oh boy, where like. Well, we, now you know where this is going, at least, you know, like, even if we don't know, we see, see something violent, we're going to see something. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't know. I just, I, for some reason, it felt like a lot of it was going through the motions. And even if you don't know the details, you've seen this movie from Scorsese so many times. And this stylistic, the, all these stylistic choices that like, none of it, it felt wrote to me in a way that like, I found frustrating and like uh, just so self-indulgent. I mean, it felt masturbatory, honestly, like it was just too fucking much. And it just, you know, Thelma usually uh, is a great editor because she reigns him in. And like the few times she hasn't been his editor, there's been a marked marked difference. And I was genuinely surprised to realize that she edited this one. Cause I was like, was she, what was, is she okay? What's going on? <laughs> I um I think it does come off a bit as like a a victory lap of sorts of like this is my last gangster movie and I'm going to give you guys all the hits basically and then in the last hour it's like and then I'm going to make you think about what you <laughs> what you just sat through by listening right. to those hits but um which is like again why it doesn't work for me because it's like I've already been thinking about it and have ever since I've seen one of these films but like it's a question of perspective and that's fine I just mm-hmm. you know I, I think that's what's weak about it yeah, I do wonder um, in terms of like Oscar chances, how this will play out, because it's like there's always the there was always the question of like Netflix drumming up the buzz. But the buzz is here for this movie. Like, I think it's going to be like I'm sure we'll get some sort of number tweeted out by Netflix's Twitter account by the end of Thanksgiving weekend of like 80 million people watch this film over the course of Thanksgiving <laughs> weekend. But um, like it's going to be interesting to see how this does because especially for someone who's so respected like famously hasn't pro- like um performed well with the academy in many years past and um like he's got a nomination but he's never been enough to like go the distance except for the departed uh mm-hmm. so i do wonder if like the affection that a lot of like people on the internet have for his films which is so key to liking this like to, to wanting to see him play those hits again essentially um that's not there in the academy so it's kind of going to be interesting to see how this plays out like in terms of winning best picture which is fascinating because there's no front runner right now which is like wonderful what yeah. a wonderful race to talk about but yeah yeah, you know, I it it I think it's actually got a, a decent chance. I mean, I, I guess it depends on how when people see it, but I think it's the exact kind of film that feels like um I don't know, Oscar bait in a way that we basically don't have anymore, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, um, like that old-fashioned Hollywood Oscar bait. Yeah, and like there's such affection for him and all of these actors and and the the genre of gangster pictures that he has defined that like I do think, especially with old the older crowd in in the academy, which is still substantial, it's really gonna connect. Um, and there's some great stuff in it. I mean, I think you're completely right about Anna Paquin in this. She's like, I at first when she came up, I was like, what, what, <laughs> what a weird casting choice. <laughs> like, I think I, I might have taken a cue from that annoying couple and gone, what? <laughs> when she showed up. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, there was this article published last week before I had seen the film. Um, it was some like gossip website. I can't remember what. Where like the headline was like. Anna Paquin fans aghast that she only has six lines in the film or something like that. And I was like, first of all, where are the Paquin fans? <laughs> like, he's Paquin. Actually, in fact, the Paquin fans are like, she's in this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, just imagine like these people storming out of the Blasco, very upset. <laughs> um, but also, I was like, damn, like that's kind of the point. She only has six lines, and she's really good. It reminds yeah. me a lot of um. Our conversation with Margot Robbie and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where like the counting the lines is missing the point, basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Oh God, how many times have we said that? Like Jesus. Yeah. Um, and um, also in a very quick scene, Mar- Marin Ireland plays his other daughter, and she's really good at that one scene too. Yeah, the daughters are great. I, you know, for the twelve seconds of their on screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. God, I, I don't. What? Did, let's talk about the de aging really fast because I. Yeah, think, I was gonna say. Um. Because the reason, like, I think I maybe before the film came out, I might have thought like, oh, you know, maybe uh, De Niro will get some like a late, late, uh, late career Oscar. But I think the de-aging actually um, hinders his performance in a way, in, especially in the early stuff, because he's playing younger for so much of the film um, that like. I think it hinders whatever emotion was on his face originally that has been erased by digital line removal, if you will. So, uh, and also the de-aging is bad. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's twofold. It, it's not only bad and confusing in that it, as you say in your review, doesn't um, establish a timeline very clearly, but it also, I think, sort of ruins his performance. What are your thoughts? I somewhat agree. I think he's like, he's fine he's fine with like De Niro has been fine in so much for the past two decades basically it's like he's like not like unless he's reading off cue cards in SNL like he's not a bad actor but like it's like he like it's very hard to tell how old he's supposed to be from scene to scene and um it's like the, the special effects are distracting I think a big part of it also comes down um like a week or two ago my friends and I watched Godfather Part Two, like mm. one night we were just all hanging out and we were talking about like how good looking he was as a young man and everything like that. And we just like we know his features as a young like we like yeah. watched him in so many movies. And it's like you watch it and you're like, that's not what he looked like. <laughs> like no. it's like it's distracting. No. <laughs> he looks like an old man. It's so weird. It's so fucking weird. It just does not work. I wish they had hired younger actors and just like, I get that he like the technology is there that you can do it. But like, why is it bad? Disney did it fine. They figured it out. Somebody please lend that technology to Netflix or whoever. It's so embarrassing. Or even if, like, and they, they talked about this on the Blank Check podcast when they talk about Gemini Man. Um, mm. Like, Ugh. if they just put makeup, like, on De Niro, a little bit of makeup to try to make him look younger for what, like, yeah. however, like, yeah. I'm sure it would not have looked like the most convincing thing. But, like, the conventions of cinema, I would just see the makeup and be like, oh, he's supposed to be younger and just accept it. Like, I wouldn't sit there the whole time, like, he doesn't look 25 or whatever. But yeah. then, because the special effects are so intentionally done to make, like, to be like, look at how impressive it is. I'm just, like, more distracted by how unimpressive it is. Yeah. It's it's truly 
just bizarre to watch. And like he like, the first time you see him de-aged, it looked like a PS3 game. Like I was just like, I was like, what is this? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. The first time I was like, is that it? Is am, am I having a stroke or is this real? Like that's <laughs> that's the uh, that's what they decided on. My God. It's like oh it's brutal. Uh, the de-aging is very bad and and mostly doesn't um help anyone. Like I always felt so relieved when they would go back to the later timeline and like Joe Pesci looked like a human again. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Like yeah. <laughs> no, no more. <laughs> Take it away. And um, the old age makeup is great because like right. they don't really look, I mean, I haven't seen Joe Pesci in a while, but like they don't really look that old and it's like, it's believable. They look like they're on de- like their deathbed for most of the last act. So it's Absolutely. like, right. Like they're like truly like crawling through scenes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just like, I, I, I really don't like de-aging as a concept. Like it works for like five seconds in a Marvel movie where it's like, yeah. we're going to show Michelle Pfeiffer in the eighties now. And it's like, all right, sure. But like, I don't know between that and between like this fucking, we're casting James Dean in a movie news that we got a few weeks ago. I'm like, make it stop. Like there's, we're putting makeup artists out of business for God's sake. Yeah. We have to no more, no more, no more. Um, any last thoughts on the Irishman before we move on to the other films we want to talk about? Um, no, I'm very curious to see how people respond to it over Thanksgiving because I'm just like, I'm like, it's a depressing fucking movie. People that last hour is just like the antithesis of like a Thanksgiving movie, but also I will be watching it on Thanksgiving. So I don't know. (laughs) I I hope to never watch it again. If my parents ask, I'll, I'm going to leave the theater or leave the, leave the house and walk around New Zealand. Um, (laughs) Hopefully find a New Zealand husband. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about Ford v. Ferrari. Um, The other boy movie that came out. this Truly the most boy movie. (laughs) The most boy movie. There was this man next to me who was like, he didn't have kids with him, but I'm like, he was appropriate dad age, like fifties. Yeah. And, um, I have never seen anyone react to a movie with such enthusiasm in my life. Like it's like, did he, did he sort of sniffle cry at the end? That's what I want to know. He did a little sniffle crying when the part in the, tra- in every fucking advertisement for the film where Matt Damon punches Christian Bale, he went, Oh shit. Like really loud in the theater when that happened, as if we didn't know it was coming. And, um, there were just so many audible reactions throughout the whole thing. And I was just like, dude, you okay? Like, it's like, we're like, chill, but, but yeah. weirdly I like the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I sort of expected to hate it, but I, I found it bizarrely enjoyable in a way that like, I don't know. It's, it's such a, it, it is such a like, performative masculinity movie that largely worked for me and I like I mean I like cars so that worked out and all of the actors are very good in it and it's just well cast and the cinematography is honestly some of the best I've seen this year like and there's been a lot of great cinematography this year but it just like I don't know it looked beautiful and and sort of expensive in a way that like like older Oscar bait used to look, do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's something about it that just like felt like typical Oscar bait. And, and before I saw it, that sort of annoyed me about it. But like when I saw it, I was like, I don't know, this is kind of fun. Like, you know, I, Christian Bale, I think is, uh, this is one of the better performances he's done in, in, in his career, uh, arguably, like he gets to have fun and he's just like, 
he's kind of a like American or a caricature, but like, I don't know. There are dudes like that. So like yeah. it'll, it, it feels grounded in reality in a way that like usually um, a performance that big would not work. And the performance works so well that I actually like um, I, I had the thought during it where that I was like, is Matt Damon a good actor like at all? Cause he just seemed um, like dead, like cardboard cut out of Matt Damon throughout this. And I like Matt Damon for the most part. Well, I mean, he's a fucking garbage person in real life, but like, um, like as an actor, I've always been okay with him, but like, I don't know. He was like not good in this. And I think it's partially, he's nothing to do in the film. Um, I should say that like, you reviewed the Irishman and, and uh, but I didn't, Ben Murchison reviewed this for us. Um, and like, even he was like, even his review was just like, I mean, Damon is fine, but like, w- you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a bail show. And like mm-hmm. the film doesn't actually care about Damon's character that much. Like it looks like he's going to go somewhere, but instead he sort of just is on one level the whole time. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a huge Christian Bale fan. I think it's become sort of fun to like hate on him for some, like on some level and everything like that. And I've always been a really big fan. I think like he, like, you know, he just fully commits to the performance in a way that is at times like a little overly showy. Like I think of some of his, like his, like my less favorite performance of him, like American hustle or mm. things like that, where I just think he's like going a little too, overboard with things but um in general i'm a big fan and i think this is just such a fun performance for him because like it's so like the, the his press trail for it is all about how it's the first movie he hasn't gained or lost weight for in years it's like he's just like this like this is his natural body which is kind of wild because it was not what i expected and um like he, you just feel that like freedom with it like it just like yeah. he's not trying to do anything he's just having fun and it's a proof to me that i think like he is like this naturally gifted actor that a lot of people forgot about and um i think he's wonderful i'm not a big matt damon fan i think it's like mm-hmm. he had a great run in the 90s and then i don't know if it what happened he just kind of stopped and um i can't say for sure that what i like about matt damon isn't just that i like ben affleck do you know what yeah, I mean? honestly, that that might you you both you and Matt Damon share a love for Ben, and it's maybe that's <laughs> just like, rough, like it's sharing. It's like it's shining in you because of that. <laughs> but um, no, I think he's not bad in this. But it just like it's exactly what I expect from Matt Damon, which is just like showing up and mm-hmm. doing the lines. And um, I don't know. Like for me, it's Bale is constantly acting him off the the screen and yeah like i think it's funny you mentioned how it's like this classic oscar bait i think it's coming out at like just the right time yes of um you know the box office is in like a a catastrophe essentially and this movie did really well and i think there's a reason for that i think like we're kind of starved for this sort of like adult driven content where it's like you know if you had told me in previous years that like there's gonna be an oscar film um like starring Christian Bale and Matt Damon about cars and it was two and a half hours <laughs> long, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to go and I will only go if it gets nominations. But I was ready to go like opening night for this because I was just like, for the love of God, give me something that's like meant for adults and doesn't have a comic book character in it. Like, it's like it just I was so desperate for it and yeah. it, it did the job. It, and also, I will say, I think in general, James Mangold is a really 
good director of just like a like you know like kind of like a journeyman type of just like whatever movie he gets handed he will he will do he doesn't quite have like distinct traits as a director but like looking through his filmography i like basically everything he's done so it's like you know i think he's just he's reliable yeah he's not an auteur maybe but he's a solid director for sure i mean like you know, walk the line and Logan and all that shit are enjoy. I, I, and I'm a huge defender of night and day. Honestly. Yeah, same. Night and day is fun. Like, good. Oh man. God. This um, is a night and day even, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, if you want to do a Cameron Diaz retrospective podcast, let's, let's go. Um, it's got Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. It was like made for us. Yeah, honestly. And also, um, identity is one of my go-to, like, I'm just going to have a night in movies of just like, it's so silly, but it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> fucking night and day. Um, yeah, it's really enjoyable. I, you know, I, I, I kind of like, I don't know what kind of awards chances has because the picture field is wide enough. I think it has a shot at best picture, maybe um, yeah. a nomination, not, not win. Um, and like, I don't know. All of the performances are really strong, except for Damon. Um, John Bernthal is great as Lee Iacocca, and like Tracy Letts is, is very good as um, Henry Ford II. Um, Noah Jupe, who's also in Honey Boy, which we're going to talk about in a minute, is very good. And, and like, but Josh Lucas plays such a convincing asshole that, like, man, I almost wish he would get nominated, but it's such a, like, um, I don't know, it's such a non performance, not a non performance. That's, that's not what I mean. Um, such a like a weird performance that it won't happen. Like there's nothing, there's no big moment, I suppose. Yeah. But like it's just a solid supporting performance, which you know we need more of them. Um, and it's like better than Damon. So <laughs> what can you say? <laughs> yeah, um, honestly. What do you um, What do you think your ch- are ch- its chances are? I also would love a cinematography, but I I don't know if that'll happen. What are your chances thoughts on it? I think it'll show up throughout the te- throughout the tech categories, like mm-hmm. um, sound. Yeah, sound absolutely. It was yeah. I saw it in Dolby and it was incredible. Yeah. Um the um I think it has a good shot at picture with it being ten and um it just feels like the type that like I think a lot of the older voters will, will go to. And the fact that it's a hit, like it's a good narrative of like Hollywood, you know, they always want to support like their their hits, and this represents a really important hit, I think, at the box office right now. But yeah. um I love the CBL get nominated, but it is such a tough field this year. And especially it's tough with people with incredible narratives. Like it's like, there's no newcomer. Like the newest person in the field is Robert Pattinson, who I don't think is even remotely close at this point to getting um, a nomination. It's like, it really, it's all these heavy hitters. So it like Bale having just this fun performance is like a bit of a, um, like a um, handicap for him because like, I like, I don't know if that will help him get to the top five, but I think he'll like maybe show up in some places. I could see this getting submitted in like the comedy section at the globes because it has like one punchline in it and um, that could help him. It's, I absolutely think like globe central, you know what I mean? Like especially for Bale, they already like him a lot. Yeah. Um, And I will say supporting actor is, a pretty wide field this year, but it's other than Pitt, there's no real heavy hitter. Um, so there's a world where I could see Tracy Letts getting in because I think he's just so respected in the field at this point where it's like, this is the sort of role where he'll 
like where he can just get in because they're like, we have to like, this is the best chance you've gotten at a lot long time to get this sort of honor. But I don't know if like, we'll have to see how like the precursor nomination shake up, but I wouldn't, I don't love his performance at this, but I just love him. So I'm like, please get nominate him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 he's got a chance. I, it's like, you're right. He's just been in so much as like reliably a character. I mean, he kind of plays, similar characters a lot, but like, Hey, you know, you always need someone for that. So did Sydney green street, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, not to shit on Sydney green streets. Like, let's see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, anything else we want to talk about on that before, you know, I will say actually one more thing. I like that Katrina Balf from, um, outlander, you know, yeah. and she's in this, but have you ever seen Natalie Walker, um, doing those like, fake auditions or like she does yes. compilations the whole time I kept thinking about like oh my god it's such a like Natalie Walker um supportive wife role like I could not stop laughing at it I just feel so oh, bad yeah it's the weakest part of the film um especially since there are so again like the film works very well for what it is, but every one of her scenes are like these scenes that were very clearly written by a man who's like, yeah, I'm going to write her like a great moment here. And I'm like, what is this? Like she has that moment. It's all the trailers where it's like, she takes out the chair and watches her husband. And I'm like, like, my God, if my husband ever does, I'm leaving him. Like, it's like, if he ever gets into a fight on the front lawn of our house that I definitely will never be able to afford, um, like I'm leaving. And then like, there's that, the one scene that does not work. Like the, I think probably the weakest moment in the film of when she's like yelling at him while they're driving and like speeding the car. I felt felt so bad for her. I hope to God that happened in real life and they just like worked it in a way that like that definitely exaggerates it because I'm like, if they made this up, it's embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah. It's also an interesting thing of like, Oh look, she can drive a car too. (laughs) It's like so weird. Um, The one that, the one that stands out most for me, because Natalie Walker has the, um, there's one where she does like the wife of a, of a white man who's solving racism all by himself. <laughs> and, and the, the final, there's this part where she goes like, and then I'll, sh- and then I'll show up in a pivotal moment and make a tiny joke. And like, I'll be um, like, and everything. Will, and that'll be a, a, a cue to the audience that the, this storyline is wrapped up. And then the next <laughs> thing is her like gently knocking on a, on a door being like, Hey, can I help? <laughs> like, and smiling. And, Truly, Katrina Balfe has a, a a moment much earlier in the film that's exactly like that, where she like shows up in a sexy dress at the garage with a six pack to like dance with her husband to distract that he's like not at the big race. And I was like, oh my god, this is so fucking embarrassing. Yeah, it's it's rough. <laughs> it's so bad, but like she's very good. It's not her fault. It's just the movie is like such a boy movie and like that's why it's enjoyable but also why it's borders on camp honestly no yeah it's like i don't know it's it's we always have that one supportive wife role every year like last year it was my beloved claire foy's just a bunch of boys um (laughs) which i will continue to say for every oscar season i really want to like create an award like the just a bunch of boys award that goes to whatever movie is meant for the boys. We should talk about that when we get to our like category breakdowns at the end of the year. Oh my god, that's <laughs> absolute and the and like the supportive wife role too. We ha- oh we we simply must. Um, we must, but like 
it's like I really am kind of like it's that tough. Like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place for screenwriters because it's like, like you don't want to write that part, but you also like, like they're trying so badly to write a part for a woman, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. The only answer I can think of is like find interesting historical stories about a woman and write and do those movies instead. But like it's just it's wild. It is like she at least it's like she has better material I think than Claire Foy got, even if she doesn't have an eternal meme. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just a bunch of boys is hard to follow up. Um, it's the best. It's the best role of that kind for in a long time. It's the only um, thing I remember from that entire. Absolutely. Entire it took me movie. a second to remember what movie it was even from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned earlier that uh, Noah Jupe is in this film as uh, the son of uh, Christian Bale's character. Um he is also in another movie we want to talk about called uh, Honey Boy. He is um, the, like, cipher for um, Shia LaBeouf. It's the movie that Shia LaBeouf wrote about himself and his father and their relationship um, that uh, came out recently. I reviewed it for the site. I saw it a while ago um, and was very impressed by it. Um, it, uh, it stars Lucas Hedges as, like, basically Shia when he's older and sort of a mess because of all of the emotional and realistically physical abuse that he, he experienced. Um, and I, I was really impressed by the film because like in the same way that like, um, Lindsay Lohan was treated in the press. Shia LaBeouf essentially got that same kind of treatment in a way that like actors don't usually get actresses often are treated that way. And like, that's that like the, I'm not trying to make a comment on that part of it, but like he sort of had that treatment of like um, his behavior became so bad that he was written off completely. Usually men can get away with it, but his behavior was so extreme that it it changed the way people thought about him. Like, you know, after Transformers, which I think you and I have talked about as being a formative experience on this on this podcast, yes. <laughs> or at least, at least have personally, not for Shia LaBeouf, but for the scene when um, Megan Fox is leaning over the car. Um, but like, he did that. He did Disturbia. He looked like he was going to take over the um, uh, Indiana Jones franchise. There was so much that seemed ahead of him, and then all of a sudden he sort of like went seemingly crazy and and started doing weird art films and like some of some of them were good he's i think he's the best thing in nymphomaniac honestly um and he's really good in that american honey film that came out a couple years ago but like he sort of just stopped working and this film in flashing back to his childhood which so many of us know so well and like contrasting it with him 10 years later uh, in in recovery it doesn't take place now it's like 1995 and 2005 um like it's seeing it's like it reframes his entire career essentially mm -hmm. for the last well really his entire career um and i was super impressed by it there is like it's weird to feel say that it feels like considering he wrote it it's shocking how critical he clearly is of his father um and there is and the guy's still alive which is the most surprising thing about it to me because like i can't imagine talking about a parent that way in such a negative light while they're still around <laughs> to be mm -hmm. to, to a see it and b be like criticized by other people possibly um 
I don't know. I, I just was very impressed by it. Um, and especially that like Shia LaBeouf not only wrote it, but then plays the father character in the film, which is, I, I can't imagine the thing I kept thinking about was I can't imagine how it would, what it would feel like to crawl into the mind of the person who hurt you most in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just how, how, what kind of emotional toll that would take. And going into the film, I thought, he for a lot of it i thought like oh he hasn't processed this yet and this is how he's doing it but by the time i got to the end of the film which i won't necessarily spoil i thought oh no i'm wrong he has processed this this is him saying i forgive you which i i just thought was so mature and really stunning and impressive for a film that's quite short it's like an hour and a half mm-hmm. but um what did you think about it yeah i I was really surprised by it. I, um, you know, and like you mentioned, we forget how like much of a movie star he was for a split second. Like, and I like weirdly his career at that peak was like important to me. And like, and not in like the way we usually like joke about, like truly it's like, I look at his filmography and it was like, I was, and I still am like a huge fan of holes from 2004. I think it's a great forgotten family film. Um, this is a weird, like, I went to school with the kid who's in the greatest game ever played with him. So, like, that movie Whoa. was a very big deal in my hometown. So, I've seen that movie. That was, like, a big deal when it came out. Um, the kid in it, who I think follows me on Twitter, cheated on me in my freshman um, Romeo and Juliet test. And I was cheated off me on my Romeo and Juliet test in freshman year. I never forgot that. But, um, but, um, and... There was obviously like we mentioned Transformers. I was a huge Disturbia fan. Yeah. Um, like I love that movie so much when that was um that was a formative like horror movie for me. So it's just like his movies really meant a lot to me growing up, and I didn't quite realize that. And then yeah, like this movie recontextualizes his entire life and his story so well. And a way that I'm so like weirdly like, happy for him. Like it's like I'm happy yeah. he had the chance to tell this story. He's wonderful in it. Like what a great performance as this father made even more compelling by the fact that it is his life. And then um, <clears throat> mainly my main takeaway was like Noah Jupe is going to be a massive like yeah. um, actor. I think what like yeah. he is so good in this film and I was already interested like in his, in his career because I really liked him in wonder last year. Um, and ah. that movie yeah, that movie in general, like I was impressed by more than I thought I would. But um, yeah, he was wonderful on that, and then giving like a really mature, leveled performance. And here, it's just like this is a hard role to pull off, and he does it really well. And there are just like some scenes that are so heartbreaking and like feel totally earned. Like the moment um, where we see him filming the sitcom with his um, like on-screen father is one of the most like crushing things I've ever watched in a movie basically. And like everything that follows after that, especially knowing how real it must feel. And especially like, you know, growing up watching even Stevens, like just like thinking about this. It's, it's fascinating to watch. Um, I wish we had a little more padding at the ending. I think it it just Mm. like, I was surprised at how abrupt the end was, but Mm. I mean, it's like a, it's a minor quibble for a movie that I think is very powerful, and I hope people see it because I think, like, you know, I'm all for 
like celebrity gossip has changed so much in the past few years. And I am all for like this idea of like giving these people who were so ripped apart 10 years ago or less, like the chance to redefine their narratives because it's like, we were all like harsh to these people. And I think I'm happy this story has been told. Yeah. It's interesting that like, um, it's of all the people to have this narrative about it's a dude. (laughs) And I think that's like, Telling about what I don't know Hollywood is like that he's afforded this this ability to revamp his images is sort of I mean there's gender there's something gendered about it but like also I don't I don't mind it but I also like the thing I kept thinking is like I remember when he um, when I basically just started to dismiss him was when he sat in that in the Angelica I think it was and watched all of his movies in a row boom 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 and they like live streamed it you know and it, all the, I mean it was yeah. a Jeff Factory for sure but like. I I remember that so distinctly and like it's it was just like that was when he became obnoxious to me um and part of that was that like it is pretentious but it's also just the way it was covered in the media just this constant thing of like here he is reacting to this film like this film is a piece of shit it's of course he'd be crying right now do you know what I mean and mm-hmm. like t- to have that context and be like oh the reason he's so upset during those first couple films is because he is remembering a fucking traumatic childhood and that all happened that 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 screening thing happened when he was probably in recovery which like i I don't know there's something emotionally self-abusive about it that like i just want to be like dude like take a break man like Mm -hmm. chill out for a minute like holy shit (laughs) um but yeah, I don't know. The things he does here is really interesting. And like the scenes that are, are written are there's some remarkable shit. Like I mentioned it in the review, but there's a scene where um, Noah Jupe's character has to um, basically uh, relay two sides of his parents' arguments to each other on the phone. So <sighs> like and and he basically acts as his mother as she's talking about the father like like trying to rape her. And it like I uh, like who no who wouldn't be fucked up after having that kind of situation like maybe that's not a true an exactly true scene but like um, something similar i mean he must have known heard this thing so many times like i how would how could you be a stable person after all that how could you mm-hmm. you know and like it just shows the sort of the celebrity thing of like, just because someone is in the public eye and like you watch them grow up, it doesn't mean you know anything about them. And like, I don't know. It's just a, such an interesting film that I haven't stopped thinking about even like two months in. I feel like. I, I really hope, like you mentioned with the gender aspect, we, we like, even if they don't write it themselves, like we take a more affectionate approach to looking back at some of the stories that like we spoke about as a culture about actresses 10 or more years ago. Like I'm, I think Megan Fox, like we talk a lot about Megan Fox in our DMS basically. Um, like I'm happy she is really taking the, like the, um, every time she gets a platform, she talks about like the way she was treated in the media, which is insane. When you look back at it, like it's horrible. 10, 10 ish years ago, probably. Um, yeah, Transformers is like 2007. So it's like, I really do hope we're giving this, we're given like we give everybody the chance, even like, you know, there's that tweet that went viral this, this um, week, I think today, even where it was like, I like in an alternate universe, we have Lindsay Lohan's version of honey boy. And it's like, absolutely. I think we, we need to think about that. And I hope like, you know, 
the world is safer for child stars today because it's just like I mean I don't know if it is and we every once in a while you hear about some horrible shit about like the way people on Twitter or whatever are like objectifying someone from a child's program I don't know and it's like yeah. I don't know it's it's frightening though hey I, I I hope we're learning the right lessons about how we talk about celebrities yeah no it's it's an interesting film to come out now and like one that feels like hopefully the beginning of a, a larger conversation that needs to be had about like f- so many fucking starlets, Megan, Megan Fox, number one. Um, we, there's one more film we want to talk about. Um, and I forgot to mention at the top, but we're going to do a big spoilery type thing again, like we did last time. So um, if you want to opt out now, now is the time it's uh, we're going to talk about waves, um, which I reviewed for the site. So, if you haven't seen it and you don't want to see it, it's in, or you do want to, don't want to, if you do want to see it and want to go into it unspoiled, which I think you absolutely should, I'm sure it yeah. works even without it, but it would be silly to, you know, ruin a, a pretty complex plot. Um, you should opt out now. Um, we can, I, I will give a quick, like, before we actually, before we cut you off completely, let me give a quick um, idea what it's about. It's about, uh, I don't even know if I can do it. <laughs> no, I think it's hard to talk about. It's, yeah, you know what? I, I, it's that, a family uh, you, drama. <laughs> you can't even do it. It's a family drama with crazy cinematography. Look up, go see the trailer, and then you'll you'll have an idea. Um, but yeah, stop listening now if you don't want spoilers. Um, all right, now that we're in spoiler territory, um, I'm going to give a little summary of it. Um, so it's basically a two two. Two narratives linked by a family, essentially. The first part of the narrative is um, Kelvin Harrison Jr., who you and I uh, both talked about in Loose earlier this year. He plays Tyler. Um, He's a wrestling um, star in his high school. He's um, about to start his senior year, um, or he is starting his senior year of, of, uh, or like he's in his senior year, basically. He's starting a senior year of like final wrestling. This is where this is this year that's going to get him to college. He's worked his whole life for it. His dad, who is played by um, Sterling K. Brown, Ronald, has trained him for his whole life, clearly projecting all of his missed opportunity wrestling dreams onto his son. Um, but then his uh, girlfriend, Alexa Demi, who plays Alexis, or um, gets pregnant. Um, and though she initially seems like she's going to give up the baby, she doesn't. Um, at the same time, well, as the, when he also learns about the, the pregnancy, he realizes that he has a horrible in- injury from all this working out and wrestling training that he's done his whole life um, that end, effectively ends his career and may actually de- permanently like injure his shoulder. Um, and because he's given no coping mechanisms by his parents in a way, um, the other parent is his, who's his stepmother played by Renee Elise Goldsberry, um, who plays Catherine. Um, uh, so he just doesn't have the, the emotional equipment to deal with all of that loss at once because all of these things he's defined himself by, he's suddenly lost. <clears throat> so he ends up, uh, killing his girlfriend eventually when she doesn't, when he gets involved in 
alcohol and drug abuse and she doesn't have she she doesn't have the abortion like they it, they initially agree upon um and it's a pretty brutal scene and then the movie switches to his sister played by taylor russell um who and her and the family have to deal with the emotional fallout of what tyler has done and he goes to prison and there they are just sort of basically dealing with grief um not that he's de- dead or anything, but he it's it's a pretty shocking shift and he's responsible for a death. So it's and they're all sort of associated with it now. They're all questioning what they could have done to stop it, um, especially because Taylor Russell's character, um, who I, I think I is named Emily. I don't know if I think I mentioned it yet, um, feels responsible because she was at the party and saw her her brother walking through it following the girlfriend before shit went down. Um, so she feels like she could have stopped it. Um, but she is trying to deal with that grief. And then Lucas Hedges comes along as this like cute boy who also used to wrestle or also wrestles for the school. He plays Luke. Um, not a, not a big stretch name wise. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> and they start to follow him up. And then it sort of just becomes about, a family dealing with grief and how one person gets over grief and uh, how love is both damaging and transcendent, I suppose. Uh, like I, I, it's a lot going on plot wise, but it's also a lot going on ideologically. Like there's a lot to dig into. Um, there also might be too much going on, but that's, I've talked about it a lot. I also reviewed it. Matt, why don't you talk about it for a little while? Yeah, I was, very excited for this movie. The trailer, I think, is one of the most effective trailers of the year. Yeah. Um, and I love the cast. Calvin Harrison, I think, is going to be great. We talked about that with, when, we, when we talked about Loose. Um, and my love for Lucas Hedges is well, is well documented. And also, <laughs> like, it's a small part, but um, as like a huge fucking Hamilton nerd, Renee Elise Goldsberry oh. is like... In, like I was just so excited when I saw her in the trailer. I was like, "Oh my god, Angelica!" Like it was, it was so <laughs> exciting. Um, and I have really mixed feelings about the film. It has stuck with me. I will give it that. Like I keep yeah. um, thinking about it, but I think, like you mentioned, it has a as like anyone who reads about the plot or sees it will know. Like it is a lot of movie. Um, yeah. Like, I knew vaguely about the two-act structure. I didn't know what, like, causes the second act. But I knew it was done in two acts. And throughout the first act, I was kind of thinking, I was like, was that information wrong? Like, is this really – like, this is so much in that first act about um, Calvin Harrison's character. Where Mm -hmm. I was like, how much could they even do in a second act? And I think – it might bite off more than it can chew in terms of themes. Like the ending is very effective on some levels, but um, it is trying to have all these different emotional closures with all these different characters. And I just don't know if enough groundwork was done Mm -hmm. to pull that off for me. I almost wish as good as they are in their parts that we didn't have the parents involved in the story and we just kept it about the teenagers. I find their stuff more compelling. And I like, as good as Sterling K. Brown is when he does that monologue in the trailer, like he's a great actor. It's just like, it's, I, I don't know if that arc felt earned to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are just, there are other moments that I just find very, very odd or like almost tone deaf at, at points. Like I think um, 
I, I saw um, Jordan Sears, who's one of my favorite pop culture writers, um, who did not like Waze very much, tweeted yeah. a little bit about the um, soundtrack and particularly the use of um, Backseat Freestyle by Kendrick Lamar in one scene mm. where it's supposed to symbolize his characters like um, Kevin Harrison Jr.'s character, like his descent into like misogyny and his descent into like hatred mm-hmm. of um like his girlfriend and everything and like the and like that is just like a fundamental misunderstanding of that song to a point where it's almost like um tone deaf about the song use and everything like that and like yeah. just feels like an odd decision that bothered me on some level it's worth mentioning that uh trey edward schultz who directed mm-hmm. it and and co-wrote it um is is not is white you yeah. know and well, he actually, I'm sorry, he completely wrote it. Um, and like, uh, there is there is something interesting about the racial politics of it because like the cast is um, the family is black, and then the girlfriend is is uh, is Hispanic. They never you know specify exactly her what you know what background what her background is. Um, and then like Lucas Hedges is kind of the only white person in it, but like he's. And he's sort of just a schmoopy character, like in the best way. But like, there is something about the races, like race never plays into the storylines in a way that it actually would in real life. And it feels like on, on some level you appreciate the colorblind casting, but you also wonder if like, if it's relying too much on that casting, the film and also completely, ignoring and just or ign- or worse ignorant of the way things would play out uh, realistically like when the police run up on tyler mm-hmm. uh, the, there is a possibility given everything we know about you know america that he would get murdered before he would ever get put in jail realistically um and like some of some of the social media stuff that Emily faces later when like everybody is just shitting on her, her brother on her like social media page and his all of, and the dead girlfriends and all of that, that, that works. But like, there's something so devoid of race in it. Like it could just like everything about all the markers of the family makes them could make them feel like just another white family. If you didn't know any better, like a middle-class white family, if, if there were different actors playing it, you would buy it. You would absolutely buy it. And like, maybe the music is supposed to mark that that is different, but like the kids have weird musical taste as well. <laughs> like it's a great soundtrack. I will say that. Um, yes. but like I appreciated, I love Kendrick Lamar. I think good convincity is one of the best albums of the yeah. decade, but like, like when that song started playing, I was like, um, I think he misinterpreted this song basically. Yes. And, um, I'm, I go back and forth on the use of Kanye West in it because I don't I don't know if it's an effective scene, but I'm like this song I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like I I I wonder how much it's it, there's something troubling about it that isn't quite working. And like I like the film for the in the in the, mo, the I don't know as much as I can. Like yeah. I can't stop thinking about it, but I also like something is off about it and something doesn't work about it. And I don't know what it is. And there's so much that couldn't work about it because like the storytelling is bizarre on on some level, not in the way the structure or anything like that, or even the camera work, which I think we should talk about in a second, but like 
it's the how much it tries to pack in and when important details are revealed like even even like non like things that would be just background shit like we don't realize that Renee Elise Goldberry's um character is their stepmother until I think after the murder or like no, no right, um, right, right before, before the murder yeah like, right before the murder it was up, like yeah. Because before that, I like that's like a realistically, it's not even at the halfway point that that happens. It's like a little over it. Um, before that point, I was like, they seem so close. Why isn't why isn't she noticing that her child is more uh, is so upset? Like, what's going on there? And it's like, well, maybe there's a a distance there because of their, you know, the the their birth mother died of a drug overdose, and like that which we learned so late, like way after mm-hmm. the, the murder is like, Oh, well that's why he's so prone to addiction all of a sudden. Like, I don't know. There's just so much like stuff that becomes clear too late that I just, am like, what is the choice there? Like I see if you're this conceit is that we're just like so immersed in this like constant quick crash of this character that like, that's why it happens. But I don't know. There's, there's just weird shit like that. And like, then it's just too many issues in one film. Like, the race stuff is complex and maybe not even really dealt with within the film itself, but it's as a viewer, it's impossible not to think about. There's the abortion angle. There's like, there's just so fucking much <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, there's like uh-huh. emotional and mental abuse from the the parents. It's like, uh, there's, there's a, there's the Lucas Hedges stuff where his, like his father's dying. So like, there's like, death with dignity stuff going on. It's like all this, it's too many issues in one thing realistically, but like, I don't, I don't know if that's bad. Like maybe it's just a compelling, maybe this is just like the next evolution of melodrama. Like I saw recently we rewatched, um, imitation of life, not long after this. And I, Oh, the the greatest, the possibly the greatest melodrama of all time. And there was something in that that were like, I kept thinking like, is this just where, is this the kind of film that Cirque would make now? Do you know what I mean? Like these big, huge emotions and all these huge fucking issues that are dealt with in this like bizarrely personal way. And like, and maybe it doesn't always work, but like what a, maybe in 20 years it'll seem, maybe we're just too close to it. I don't know. I don't know. It just like watching that film in particular made me think, cause which, which also deals with race. Like maybe, maybe it'll read differently as the years go on. I don't know. You know, it's interesting watching it the same year that euphoria was um like began airing on HBO and it even had Alexa Demi <laughs> was in both euphoria and, um and ways playing very different characters in each. And I was really impressed by her range. Um, mm-hmm. But I loved Euphoria. Like it's like definitely like a love it or hate it thing, but it was one that like evolved from being like a curiosity to like me fully like going on on the show. And that show also is very melodramatic and talking mm-hmm. about every single issue that like a teen could face in 2019 all at once, but like over the course of 10 episodes. So it doesn't quite feel as like chaotic. And this film, like I almost wish like they cut back on one one or two subplots or like made it longer because it just it just feels overwhelming but like i was never bored and it's like that's a testament i was genuinely like fascinated by the film but like i would i just wish you know for it to achieve the greatness it so badly wanted to achieve at the ending i just wish like 
it was a little more spruced up. I feel similar. I've never seen Krishna, but um, about Trey Edward Schultz's other film, um, it comes it at comes night. At where night. I, where I'm just like, this is trying to do a lot, but like, it needs to just like zero in on one thing because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he's talented. But yeah, I mean, there's something there, certainly. Like, and yeah, you're right. Like, maybe another hour would have been fine because it's only two hours fifteen, which like for what, everything that happens, it could absolutely be three hours. <laughs> yeah, honestly, honestly, it's like this is the year of long movies. I'm like, give me a three hour movie with Lucas Hedges, sure. Right. And like if fucking Irishman can be as long as it is and have so little going on, in, in my opinion, like then this certainly could <laughs> deserve to have more. But yeah. like, I don't know. And, and you're right. It's always compelling. Like you're never bored because a, a there's the constant movement of the performances. But like there's also a constant movement and changing of the camera, which yes, this is the other the second film this year. Or I mean, there have been other films i think but the one the most major like awardsy type of film after lucy in the sky that like has a constantly or not constantly i mean that one is truly constant this one the aspect ratio changes quite a bit often as reflection or as a reflection of character like when he when the murder happens all of a sudden the frame shrinks and then it stays shrunken um as it switches to emily and then eventually when she's in love again or in love for the first time and like her world is not about this, this, the contraction caused by grief. It suddenly goes wide again. And it's like, uh, like that I thought was so, such a breathtaking expression mm-hmm. of like emotion through cinema that like I was thrilled by, but also the camera itself is constantly moving. Like the, the most, like it, the most unnerving or not unnerving, but like the moment I realized like, Oh fuck, I got to like, this film is going to, is really something I have to pay attention to even though it's two days after the election and I'm very tired. <laughs> like <laughs> is, was the scene early on when um, Tyler and uh, Alexis are in the car and the camera is literally on a gimbal. I almost spinning. threw up. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. It's so wild spinning in the middle of the car and they're singing and they're just, and the camera's just spinning in a circle and it actually does that spinning circle thing for most of Tyler's section. It's always on a pivot, like for 90% of his section. And part of it is just that, like, it's an expression of his life is literally spiraling out of control. But, like, I've never seen camera work like that. It blew my fucking mind. I was, like, so fascinated by it. Like, I, if I don't know if this has any awards chances, but I, I think that fucking cinematography should be nominated just because I've never seen anything quite like it, frankly. Yeah, it's stunning. Like, the wrestling scenes are, so, like chaotic because it just like it's moving in these ways that i've never like like you said like i've never seen them capture this sort of stuff before and it's really thrilling um definitely like headache inducing at moments but in a way where i was always like more impressed than annoyed (laughs) but um well and the thing about that too is that like i had this thought during that those one of the the later the wrestling scene where he really injures himself that like oh the camera is always spinning because he's always in the ring in some way like he's always Mm -hmm thinking about wrestling and always fighting for wrestling and, and everything, everything he does is about wrestling. It is the thing. It is the pivot point in his life. Like, I don't know. There's just something fascinating about it. And the colors in the film are fucking stunning. I mean, like some of the beach shots are just outrageous. Like the color. Yeah. It feels almost like the 21st century. Like you said, like Cirque basically. I'm just like those colors and everything. I, I, it's impressive. It's like, there's a lot here. That's like, 
compelling and all, all the performances are wonderful we should say also like yes. always either they were all wonderful especially yeah. um um taylor russell um who just like you know i remember looking up the film before going in and like when i saw the trailer i was like oh who is she and um i like i had remembered seeing she was at escape room which i love and i know you like and um, love the escape room and i saw the beginning of the year and then when i was watching the film i was like Oh, like maybe I was wrong. That's not the girl from Escape Room because she was playing an adult in Escape Room, and she's so believably like fifteen here. And it's just no, she's like an incredible performer of just like embodying this character and be making herself seem so young. It's really stunning work. Yeah, no, I agree. She's really excellent, and like uh, her and her and um, Hedges are their chemistry is like outrageous and which makes sense because they you know date they date in real life. <laughs> I'm sure because of this movie and like. Like, I, I think I, I didn't realize that going in and then, but then halfway through, I was like, oh, wait, they're dating in real life. And no wonder, like, they yeah. should be like, it's ridiculous. The, their little scene when they first, when he first walks up to her and is like, uh, like, like, oh, hey, uh, what, what are you up to? Like, just ba- like softly flirting with her is like the cutest fucking thing I've ever seen. It's like two puppies. Like, playing what a- around. It's adorable. And one of my favorite things about the two act structure is how like we see like specifically like sex, drugs and partying like in mm-hmm. two very different contexts on each act where it's like dark in the first act. And I was kind of like this is like a cautionary tale sort of thing. And in the second act, you see it all like in a much more positive aspect. Yeah. And okay. their sex scene in the second act between them is like the most adorable and believable losing virginity scene I've seen in such a long time. Like <laughs> so it is. Good. It's so cute. I was just like, oh my god, I love them both so much. So like, I have to protect them. Like, yeah, yeah, protect them at all costs. They're just so fucking cute. Yeah, that sex scene is so wonderful, and it's like, it is really, I don't know, accurate. It's just, and yeah. it's, but also so sweet in a way that, like, I don't know, so many. It always is treated as such as like momentous thing, and like, it's just kind of like something that that happens. I don't know that there's something refreshing about that. But yeah, like. I don't know the. I think it helped to watch it and uh, like watch this, and then like five days later to watch *Imitation of Life* with also with especially with two newbies who like truly you know as as everyone does the first time they watch *Imitation of Life* sobbed for the last half hour. <laughs> so like I don't know. I, I just felt like I don't know that maybe it is. It feels like an old an old like the kind of melodrama that Cirque would have made and and. Maybe it doesn't all work, but I really there's just I just keep thinking about it. I don't know. Um, I think and I feel like I'll there. think about it ten years from now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think he's gonna get there. I think, you know, one of the best things about A twenty four is that they're just shepherding this like new generation of yeah. interesting directors. And I'm like, yeah, like I think he's gonna be a big deal. I don't know if this is the film that like will m- confirm his talent, but I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here to pay attention to. Yeah, right. It like it feels like if it's not this film, it's absolutely the the next one, whatever it is. Um that is all the stuff we wanted to talk about today. Um anything else you want to like mention before we we go and or and do our socials or we're good to go? Um before it 
leaves theaters, goes to Dr. Sleep. We're, we oh. are the Dr. Sleep Hive on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, that's right. We didn't put it down on our list, but we absolutely have to talk about Dr. Sleep. Because it, here, I'll, let's, I quickly want to say, I mean, I think the only way you can talk about it in awards, uh, there are two things that you would talk about. A, production design, the fact that they had to recreate the Kubrick sets and do mm-hmm. it so well, in, incredible. Frankly, incredible. Second of all, Rebecca Ferguson deserves a supporting nominee or i don't know maybe she's technically lead but you put her in supporting don't risk it um put her in supporting she's fantastic i love it that that character is dumb as hell she's named rose the hat but you know what what a delightful performance i loved every second of it i saw it with my brother at like 11 a.m we went to like the earliest screening at our theater i think and i saw it at like 9 a.m as well it was just like I was like, this is a long movie, and I have plans for tonight, so I'm just gonna get it done early. And I like in the opening scene where she like introduces herself as Rose the Hat. My brother's heard me, and he's like, this is gonna be the best movie of all time. <laughs> like, like, like it just—it's such a choice to name your character Rose the Hat. And I, I don't know. I like, yeah, I love, I loved it so much. Like, this is a year where like the box office leaves me depressed and I'm like, like at no, I have no hope for the future of blockbusters in some way. But like the fact that this movie, a two and a half hour, like ghost story about trauma that has an extended scene where Jacob Tremblay dies, like is like, this got got made is insane. I I guess we're in spoiler territory, but bro. (laughs) We're in spoiler territory. It's fine. No, by the time you listen to this, believably, it's going to be out of theaters. Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely. no one's seeing it. But they should because it's so good. Yeah. It's funny when when Tremblay showed up. I was like, "What the fuck? Why is this like genuinely great actor in this role?" And then I was like, "Oh, okay. Oh shit." And that I somebody uh, yesterday uh, who a friend of mine who is um, not good at horror movies like. She will close her eyes in a scary trailer. Like I'll have to tell her if we're seeing a movie together, like a horror movie, like so she'll close her eyes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um she was like, Should I see Doctor Sleep? And I was like, No, what? What are you talking no. about? <laughs> I was like, there is one of the most disturbing fucking there's a child murder in it that's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. And I was talking about the Tremblay thing, because it's like because they show it and then they keep showing it because it's like flashback slash, you know, a magic thing. And like Oh, it's brutal, and he's really good in it. Like yeah. him and those those uh, those weirdos, especially Rebecca Ferguson, are so good in that scene. It's horrifying. I like was in the theater, like you know, eating my breakfast at ten a.m. at the Alamo, <laughs> being like, "This is heinous!" Like I can't believe they did this. Like I mean, in a like truly in a dr- just world, like I, you you would kind of nominate fucking Tremblay. He's so good, and he makes that film. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is something like I, I I need like an oral history of how that scene got into the film. It is, you know, Mike Flanagan is no stranger to having scenes that really like fuck me up. Like there's there's one moment in Gerald's game that is one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in a movie. Um, and I was just like, holy shit, this is a Warner Brothers movie. Like it's like and I could not believe it is so disturbing and like. There's other shit too in it that's very. It's a very like. It is a shockingly upsetting movie that like bothered me in a way that I didn't expect, but I loved it. I was just like, this is insane. This movie got made. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, it has psychic dream battles, like psychic (laughs) dream battles. (laughs) They're fucking bomb as hell. I'm like, it's in the trailer, but when Rebecca Ferguson gets thrown from that milk carton thing, like, I was like, this is great. This is fucking masterpiece. I love this so much. I do think it like it. It's oddly less effective for me in the once it gets to the Overlook again, but like, because there's less. Because Rebecca's off the screen for too long. (laughs) I mean, I'm just being honest about who I am. But, like, uh, it's it's still, like, so good, even up till then. Like, like, I don't love The Shining, so I don't love that Overlook stuff. But, like, during that part, I was like, wow, the production design is really impressive. (laughs) Like, even that, there was something to enjoy through the whole thing. And, yeah, honestly, those, those battles are great. Like... The file folder thing? Fantastic. Insane. insane. I am really close to going to see it again. Like, it's like, I have one more AMC reservation left for this week, and it's between The Good Liar or that, and I'm like, I don't know, man. Obviously. Obviously. Oh, my God. This is a Dr. Sleep podcast. Um, Rebecca (laughs) Ferguson, please come on the pod. Please. Um, oh my god, please. <laughs> we would just end up talking about Greatest Showman for about two hours. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm at Marissa Corpico everywhere. I'm sure I'll have stuff coming up. Um, I think I have um, uh, I don't know. What, what, what do you, why don't you do your socials and I'll figure out what I have coming up. <laughs> um, I'm at MattNightMatthew1 on Twitter. I'm at Matt T on Letterboxd. And I we're doing a lot of um, Disney Plus and Apple Plus stuff right on the on the site right now. I'm not because I am not paying for Disney Plus. But um, the the other writers are doing doing the Lord's work, and um, I I will get ready for our best of the decade stuff coming up next month. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's all coming up. I'm not writing anything for it because I'm too tired. Um, <laughs> but this week I'll have 21 Bridges and then a, a documentary called Shooting a Mafia. Um, and yeah, that's, that'll be it for a little while. Um, and I met Marissa Carpico. I feel like I mentioned that, but I'm mentioning it again. Um, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone.